You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Aprom Kipolevich, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Shalom. This is On Principle, Challenges in Jewish Education. And I have to say, over the uh, almost 50 uh, recordings that we've done, I'm probably most excited about this one. Uh, I have a, the COVID of having with us uh, one of the most important and recognizable names in Jewish learning, Jewish teaching, uh, Jewish writing, Rabbi Pesach Yosef Krohn, um, someone who my relationship goes back with many, many, many years uh, through many permutations. Um, there, you know, Rabbi Pesach, there's a lot of people that, oh, I remember I went to yeshiva with. I remember, you know, we were, uh, we had that period. I've been mavurach, really, uh, honestly. And the Rabbi Shalom has, has, has been so wonderful to me to allow me to be connected to you over the years, connected, you know, unfortunately not frequently enough but definitely in many spaces we've we've been i've been following your arc and we've been in many ways together on that arc and rabbi pesach crone thanks so much for being with us to discuss really jewish education and most people (laughs) would say what pesach is a teacher he's a principal in my mind you're one really of the most important educators around today and one of the reasons I know why you, you agreed to to speak with me um, to take special time out is for us to highlight uh, a, a new jewel in the Magid series, a very different one, I think, and we'll talk about it, that why is the Yom Narayim with the Magid, which is fresh off the press. Um, the one that I have, I can still smell the uh, <laughs> smell the, the pages, that, that wonderful new book print that it just came out thanks so much for being with us on a on a busy day for you Rapace. i'll just tell you the reason of course that i agreed to this interview i have agreed to many many interviews but somehow from the first moment that i met you and it's got to be uh, at least 30 years right Even more maybe, than that more than that more than that over 40 but go over ahead 40. and um you were a, a teenager or maybe just in your first in the early 20s and somehow you and I just connected on a soul level. There was something very special about you, very open, very honest, very friendly. A Talmud Chacham who loved Torah, but you loved life. And you always loved to laugh and you loved to be in good spirits. And somehow when we bought this house here in Kew Gardens, where I'm speaking from now in Baruch Hashem, <laughs> We've been living here many years. We had many, as you know, many young men that were living here in our basement for a while. They were renting. And we had girls in the attic that were renting, you know, for they came to New York for Shaduchim. And you become friendly with them. They become like part of your family. But there was something so special about you, about your joy de vivre, that your life, uh, your love of life. And we always connected. And, I, and that's why, although... We've had dozens of people that were here, but you're probably one of the only ones that I've connected with over <laughs> these 40 years. It's amazing. So, yeah, of well, course, I'm, I'm honored to be able to. Yeah, there's got to be a Rutzen. And, and, and like I said, that <laughs> Rutzen is, well, we definitely had a lot of great late night schmoozing. And you were more right. than just a landlord to me. And uh, especially when you revealed something, and I guess this would get started right away. You, you took me upstairs to to your, I guess, your office, your enclave. Uh, I'm not sure if, you, if maybe you've expanded it, but it was all piled with things. And then you, you pointed to 
the, your treasure trove. And what it was, was tapes that you had made, the, the, the uh, voluminous tapes. I don't know if that's the proper word of Rav Shalom Shadron. Um, and I, I realized that, of course, I had gone through, before I even met you, I had gone through Rav Shalom's uh, Ashiram in, um, in Gula. Uh, and, and, and other places where he was like a superstar, everybody, he was speaking everywhere. Um, and uh, you told me about the, the incredible relationship your family had with him and how you were uh, taping him and you were really uh, getting to, because you realized what this treasure trove was and how important his stories were. I mean, I heard Rav Sholem say uh, on one of these Friday night uh, drushes, he says, you know, that Bismanaze, we have to and sometimes close this forum, close the the Sifre Pilpul, and really let ourselves being open up to Sipuri Maisius because they aren't just stories. And in that way, you know, you started uh, uh, becoming an Evan Nemon to give Rav Sholem to the English speaking world. And that was, uh, I don't know when the first Magid book, but most people, when, when I say Pesach Kron, they say, oh, the Magid. But what's but you right? But really, the Magid was you being Rav Sholem's uh, English mouthpiece. The Magid was Rav Sholem, hundred percent. And, and I, I must agree with you on that, a thousand percent. And I'll tell you two things. I'll reveal to you. First of all, when um, people started calling me the Magid, I was so embarrassed because you know I felt the Magid is a very exalted title, and that was Rav Sholem. And that's why every single book in the Magid series, I always try to refer to them as the Magid speaks around the Magid's table in the footsteps of the Magid, reflections of the Magid, all those, because I didn't want to point myself as the Magid. I felt what kind of chutzpah is that, that I'm going to take that title? You know, if other people call it to me, you know, that's fine. But Rav Remel, because you know how much I love you, I, I want to reveal something to you that I, I, I never, I, I, maybe I've said this in public once or twice, but I'll tell you something very interesting. The first time Rav Shalom came to America and he stayed in our home and that whole story is in the Magid Speaks, I was so enamored by him, his openness. He could cry in public, he could laugh in public, and he could make people have all kinds of emotions that you, you know, the whole gamut of emotions. And I'll never forget I once said to my father, who I think was the wisest person I ever knew, and I said to him, Pa, is it possible to be a Magid in America? Now, I was 18 at the time, or, or barely that. And, and I asked him, and I'll never forget his answer. He said, I want you to know in America, you could be anything you want to be. And I, I was so moved by that. Not that I ever in a million years thought that I would be a speaker, but, you know, he was like the ultimate of reaching people and affecting people. And I guess as a teenager, I'm telling you, my I, my father died when I was 21. So I asked him this years before that. So that must have been 18 when Rav Shalom was still here the first time. But there was something that drew me to the fact that a person could get up and inspire people and build people. And that's what I think was one of his greatest milas. When you walked away from a drusha, and, and when people say that to me, to me, that's the biggest compliment. When somebody says, you know, you were talking to me. Now, most people, when they go to a musashmuz, they'll tell the speaker, boy, did you tell that guy off? You know, that's amazing. <laughs> but when somebody says you were talking to me, or somebody will come 
to me and say, you know, three years ago, you spoke about saying Altira after Oenu, and I haven't missed it one since then. Yankel Bender tells me, and he said it publicly, he's been saying Carbonus and Pashas Katayres only because of a drusha that he heard from me. Now, I'm honored by that. Of course, I say Katayres and I say Carbonus and I talk about it. But if you can inspire people and build people, that was Rab Sholem's Mila. He built people. Now, he's a Baal Musa, right? So many times when people would leave a Musa Shmuz, they feel deflated. They're nothing. And, and, and I feel just the opposite. You got to build people. You can't break people, especially today. And, and, and that's what I've tried to do over the years. You know, it's interesting, you know, uh, thank you for talking about them, being so candid. And, you know, I think every time we talk, there's a lot of candor and honesty. And, and, and I know that that's going to be unique for people who've seen you and just, you know, as, as, as a person who's been out there up on the lectern. But, you know, one thing about Rav Shalom, uh, because he was really a tzaddik in so many ways. Um, I don't know if I've ever told you this, but um, you know we were struggling with um, with the secondary infertility, and many people discount that, especially you know you Baruch Hashem with a child, and then things are going awry, and every time you you try to reiterate the hearts to someone about what's going on. They'll immediately say, but you have a healthy child, but you have one child, but you have something. And then you sort of like you're locked into yourself and there's a pain, whether it's, you know, various uh, inability to get pregnant again, miscarriages and other things like that. And then you feel like I have no right to 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 talk about this to anyone. So I remember we were in that situation ourselves and uh, we had moved to Chicago and bought a home and uh, we were on our way. Uh, to shul with my son, who unfortunately had no brothers or sisters at the time, and you know, and you you watch families around you having more children, and 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 you feel like I can't even say anything. Um, it was in many ways the most difficult part uh, of, of our life, and we've been through a lot of stuff. We went to um, we were on our way to the the street in Chicago that had the shul the aguda, and one of the Gluck brothers uh, who called me over. I was walking with my, with my young son, Chaim, and uh, he said, no, you know, we, we, we don't want a minion. A minion at your house? Yeah, Rav Sholem is here. <laughs> so Rav Sholem was not in a situation where uh, he, he could walk that easily, and they had a safer tire in the house, and they were going to have a minion for Mincha, Shalashidus. Oh, Rav Sholem, of course. So I walked in with my son, and uh, I mentioned to him uh, who uh, yeah, I mentioned how, of course, this was to meet him. And I mentioned that I was an anical of Rabbi Yosel Slutzker. And of course, you know who Rabbi Yosel Slutzker is, of course, the, the, the Rav and Slutzker before the Beis HaLevi, one of the Talmidim of Hokim of Rav Chaim Belozhner. He was one of the poskim in the famous Machlekes between the Nitziv and the Beis HaLevi. They were Machria had to split up the yeshiva. Anyway, so when I mentioned that, 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 that my son Chaim, who was named after Rav Chaim Belozhner, and, and how much Velozhin meant. So Rav Sholem decided that not only did I, not because I helped make the minion, that he was going to be Koveya this Shalashidis to tell the Rabbi Yosel Slutsker story. And he said, and he said it, you know, everybody took from me where I said it. And then he was, he, he, he gave us the special version of Rabbi Yosel Slutsker. My, not myself, but my son, 
and he talked about how, and, and he took him, and he, and he, and he you know, uh, caressed his cheek, and he said, he's going to have brother, brethren, and shvistren, et cetera, et cetera. So this was so, again, I don't know, if, it's just so incredible. That uh, what made him say that you had told him about? Yes, the... yes, I told him. I said, give him uh, yeah. a. I said, I said, give him a bracha as a huben as a huben a brider na kin a brider na shvester. You give yeah. that to your brothers and sisters and almond because it was so lonely. Like you know, I had this little boy and he had no kids, no one to play with. Yeah. And um, Rav Sholem looked at him and he said, "Yeah," and uh, he's going to have. He's going to have brothers and sisters, yeah. and um, that was so incredible. You know, just yeah. the the. Uh, the not, the love and the fact is that he tailor made the the shalashidas tire for it. Obviously, I want to tell you something again. This is uh, you know only because uh, you know, like you say, that we were so candid with each other. I must tell you, you're going to know who I'm speaking about, but I just can't say it in public. But you'll know exactly. Um, I'm very close to a very chashva tamut chacham, and um, you know I've been learning with him for many years, and uh, he has a son who didn't have children for many many years. And um, I could speak to this Tamad Chacham about any topic under the sun, but something that I never, ever spoke to him about, except this one time, as I'm going to tell you, is about the fact that his son had no children, because I knew how painful it was to him, uh, because all his other children had children. And so I said to him, one time we were learning, I forget what Gemara we were learning, and I said to him, you know, I feel so bad for your son, you know, it's five years that uh, he doesn't have any children. That's how many years he was married at the time. And he looked me straight in the face. He said, it's not five years, it's 60 months. And when he said that, I'm telling you, I felt like I was punched in the gut. Like who understands it in that way? And that's what you're saying about the secondary infertility. You know, people don't think about it in the pain that the people are experiencing. And I think that that's so important to give over in Drosha's. You have to feel the pain of other people, what they're going through, how they're feeling that pain. And Rab Shalom felt that pain. And that's why he spoke about your, you know, your heritage and your son. And he gave the bracha because he had that sensitivity. No question about it. And and this is really where I wanted to ask you because Rab Shalom didn't commit to writing his droshes, as much yeah. as as much as he was a, a rock star, you'll be Michael me. But yeah, everybody wanted to hear Rav Sholem and right and and, and Rav Sholem was more than and I mean a rock star in the best way. He knew how to um, he he could finesse the audience. He could play the audience like an instrument. He right. was able he was able to 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 you know to talk to the little Yerushalmi kids in the front. You know he was able to bring people in. He was he knew when to stop and 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 to give a krechts and to and, to, and he knew also how to wait for the punchline and how to, to bring it out. So he was sort of like, I don't want to call him an entertainer, but he, he, was, he, he had the, uh, the, the umness of Magidus down. Right. And, right. But he never, as far as I know, I knew Rav Shalom, I want to tell you, Pesach, before I ever met him, I knew him from the Hagos, from his grandfather, from, from, his, wow. from the grandfather's safer. Yeah. I knew there were Hagos on the back of Das Taira that was right. written by Rav Sholem, so then, oh, is this the same one? You know, this, oh, this Shvadron is the same. So I knew him as a person who put together uh, the, the Das Taira on the, from the Marsham and yeah. with notes. 
So this is something where is unique, I think, for Pesach Krohn. Because what Pesach Krohn did was not only did he decide, you know, you, you, know, you obviously had that, you, everyone knows your career, but you had the writing as well. And I want to ask you, uh, how different is it? Uh, I, I, know the, I know how meticulous you are. I know how careful you are. Baruch Hashem, I've seen you at a bris, a number of bris, including my grandson, uh, Ido, uh, Baruch Hashem, who is Baruch Hashem. I know that uh, he's going to grow to be a wonderful uh, and I know you had a lot to do with it in terms of starting him off. But my point is, is that talk about the difference between writing and darshaning and how, and how that works. Because when people see your svarim, and let's talk about the newest one in, uh, right now, um, you know, they, they, they remember the speech where, or the drush that you gave when you were the scholar in residence, when you came to talk. How are you able to, to, to sort of like have that mindset, the darshan mindset and the writer giving over ideas of Torah mindset? And, and tell me how that, you know, how, that, how that works, the dynamic of how each one works with each other. Well, the first thing is, let's talk about the speaking, although the speaking came only because of the writing. Now, as a child, I was a counselor in camp. I was a learning Rebbe. In the days when I was a counselor, every counselor had to be a learning Rebbe. Today, all the camps, they hire special rebbeim. But you had to be not only a counselor, but you had to be a learning Rebbe. And before the season, they would ask you what you want to teach. You want to teach Chumash, you want to teach Gemara, whatever. And of course, there are many, many big Talmud Chachamim today that I was their learning Rebbe, you know, when they were, when they were kids in Camp Aguda. So with the speaking, it's, I was always a speaker in the family, but never publicly until the writing came out. Once the Magid Speaks came out, people thought, well, if this guy can write a story, maybe he could tell a story. And that's when it first started. I got called. There was a guy, Barry Grossman. Today, he's not Barry. He's Raborok Grossman. He was a principal of a Russian school. And uh, he called me to be the uh, speaker at the, eight, at the eighth grade graduation. And, you know, you don't start out at that good convention. But eventually, you know, it got, you know, to those points. And then going all over Baruch Hashem in 23 different countries, you know, speaking. So the speaking definitely came wow. after the writing. Yeah, I, I think I, I think I knew that because I know I, I remember your first book. So I and, and I remember that uh, that uh, your Rebbitzin, as he's old, the Zunzain, used to say to me, Pesach, he's got the gift of gab. He's got the gift of gab. Yeah. Um, I, don't, I think it was the first time I heard that the gift of gab because um, I knew that you, you know, when you would come into a bris. You know, right. you were sort of like the Rav Shalom of the Bris, right? You, right. <clears throat> you know, especially by non-from people. Because, that's what I mean. Sure, that's right. That's what that. And and the truth is that for so many many years, when I was doing more non-from Brisson than from Brisson, I felt that this is hardly uh, this is an occasion where they hardly have any religious connection. These people, and so therefore, I tried to make the Bris uh, an instrument that would be. Uh, inspirational to them. I would say a few words and, you know, choose my words very carefully because after all these people, you know, were not from at all. And this was going to be something that hopefully that they would remember. As a matter of fact, last night, last night I spoke uh, for a Paula meeting at the Yeshiva Five Towns. A guy came over to me. I could not believe this. He says, Rabbi Cron, I just want to tell you, you were the male for my son many, many years ago in Oyster Bay, Long Island. Now, if he's in Oyster Bay, you know, the guy was not religious. He said, I want you to know you had such an influence on me, you know, by that bris. And eventually 
he said that his wife had had a conversion, but it wasn't really a great conversion. Then she went through a, a real conversion. And today his son is already five years learning in Eretz Yisrael. And his second son is going next week to Eretz Yisrael. So, you know, you have an achrayas when you come to a bris like that to try to inspire people. Now, the difference between speaking and writing is as follows. When I go to, let's say, the Binyanei Omar, I go to a big auditorium. Most speakers, <clears throat> like any actor, will have, you know, all the lights are off and then the focus is the spotlight is on the speaker. I always, always go backstage before I even get on the stage. I said, I need all the lights on. I don't want, I, when you're up there and you're speaking in front of a thousand people, but all the lights are off, you're speaking to one row of people. You can't see them. I want every single light on in the auditorium because I want to see the audience. I want to see them cry. I want to see them laugh. I want to see them with their eyes open, listening, you know, and trying to be attentive. So what I try to do when I speak is I'm trying to reach the audience. So I will not use half of the words that I use in a book. I learned writing from my mother and there are many, many beautiful expressions that I will try to put together when I'm writing because that's the art of the uh, expression. There are many, many expressions that I have in this book as I have in the other books that I would never use when, I, when I'm speaking because when you're speaking, you want to have a conversation with the people just like you and I are having a conversation now. That's how I try to relate to the people. Like a, a guy just told me a couple of weeks ago at a, at a you know, a scholar residence. He said, you know why people listen to you? Because you're a great schmoozer up there. I said, you know, nobody ever told me that before. He said, you're schmoozing to us. You're not giving us a lecture. And that's why everybody's listening. Because when you have a conversation, two people, everybody's listening to you. And, and it's the same type of thing. So I won't use the sophisticated sentences or the structure or, you know, use three words in a row that, uh, you know, begin with the same letter, you know, which I do many, many times. Now, every yep. single title and every market book usually has a double meaning, usually. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, I feel, but, you know, when you're talking, you're not talking like that. You're, you're connecting. But when you're writing, it's a different type. You want, you don't want to use $25 words, but you want to use the right word. And I'm telling you, the editing is so important. And I am blessed, just like you said, you're blessed, you know, many, many great people. The two greatest editors to me in the world are Rav Nassim Sherman, Zalzagezund, and a Mrs. Felice Eisner, Frumi Eisner. They are so masterful that I'm telling you, the books are readable the way they are, not only because of my writing, but mainly because of their editing. It is phenomenal to watch. As a matter of fact, I'll tell you a little secret. I've never said this publicly. I once said to Nussan Sherman, I said, Rav Nussan, I'm willing to write and publish a book of the stories the way I gave it to you and the way you edited them, and then people will learn how to write. He said, Pesach, I wouldn't do it because I don't want to embarrass you. <laughs> <laughs> Here. I, you know, I, I'm not sure if I could be a cop. Although I will tell you that when I went to Art Scroll, uh, and gave them because um, I have so many friends in Art Scroll. It's yeah. uh, and and people who have written and and published. I once came to Art Scroll because uh, I was working. I work for Deershoe, as you know. Yes. And um, Deershoe had a newsletter, and it was put together in its uh, raw form by a very nice Talmud Chacham. Um, I want to say his name, but a very very nice Talmud Chacham. I'll tell you afterwards. He's published a lot of nice for him. Uh, on many, many areas in English, uh, unique areas in halacha. So he was the official uh, raw writer for the Dvar Halacha that was connected to the Mishnah Burra learning of that day. 
And I, so I was the one who would, would alter it. And what I did was, of course, many times, not only correct the syntax and have it make sense and that it should be written, not in, you know, in, in sort of yeshivish jargon, but I also would, would check, you know, if, if it was halachically 100% right or not. And I would add certain, you know, suppositions and caveats, et cetera. And, you know, it, it, so... So when I presented to the art scroll, you know, gurus there about, so I gave them what I was given and how I changed it. So they sat back and said, uh-huh. Um, so you're the one who took this, you know, verbose, over-the-top stuff and turned it into this more simple language, right? I said, no, it's the opposite. I took the other stuff and, and I, because I, I, I couldn't, I, I felt it needed to be more honest and more, more open and more comprehensive and, and to be more true. So in other words, I failed at that completely because to me, the, and, and what I had also done wrong was that I had almost um, uh, undone the voice of the original writer. I think that your editors, because I hear you, because when I read your books, the, 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 what an editor needs to do is, yeah, but maybe this alliteration, let's get rid of that, this syntax, but to, to zero in on the essence and try to keep some of the, 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 the thoughts that you put down in the raw form. I hope I'm getting across what I'm trying no, to no, say. Exactly. As a matter of fact, Rabbi Gremel, you know, you're so right because they have tried so much to keep my voice. So many people tell me, I hear you talking. I hear you talking when you read when they're reading what I wrote. So that means that Rav Nussan and Mrs. Eisner have just put the sentence structure in such a beautiful way and maybe cut down on the length of a sentence or a paragraph. But uh, but you know my voice is still there, and they're masters at that. There's nobody like them, no one. Yeah, and the other thing I wanted to to mention, you, you said it before, is that you know, you know both of us grew up, you know, perhaps maybe you more than me, or me more than you, you know, reading, you know, uh, you know, like one of the books that uh, that I grew up sort of emulating was Steinbeck's. Um, <laughs> um, uh, the that's great right. <laughs> no, no, that's J.D. Salinger. That's J.D. Oh, Salinger. J.D. Salinger, right, yeah. I'm talking about Steinbeck. Steinbeck wrote a book called The Grapes of Wrath, which won the Pulitzer right. Prize in 1939, I believe. It was an incredible book. And every, it told the story of the Jode family and how they moved out west. Every other pair, every other chapter was a vignette that was sort of like a, uh, a description of something that was going on in the Great Depression. And it was, you know, he, he set the scene with every little detail um, and it, 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 was, it was moving and you can almost tell that those details were crucial in terms of how to, to be there. And I noticed uh, in many ways that, like for example, the story, one of the stories in the newest book about uh, spiritual vertigo, uh, that you were able, to um, talk about this, a person that you had met who was, who was now a, a, a Haredi Yid, uh, Rabbi Yaakov, and he talked about the vertigo that, he, that occurred to him uh, while he was a, an Israeli. And we know that in Israel, that's the top of the line. That's the upper echelon of, of, of the Israeli soldier. And, and you write about the vertigo that, and he was the lead flyer, right? Why don't you, you right. talk no, about that? Didn't. Right. right. He was the lead flyer of a group. And I guess they were running maneuvers. That's uh, right, to prepare for war. Exactly. And uh, I mentioned this to you, you know, when we were talking about this, uh, I, it's like, 
you know, that wasn't, that's not something that you could probably, the, the prose that you use there is probably something you couldn't use, but it was, it was, it was, it was sparse, but perfect. You know, it was, you know, I, I wouldn't, it was more Steinbeck than Hemingway, but it was in, in many ways, you didn't, you, you don't, you didn't bowl them over with, 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 with detail. Say, or and $10 words that really are unnecessary. Right. So that balance of being able to catch, you know, the, the tarmac, the fingers, uh, the five planes being like the fingers of a, of a hand out in the sky, to know when to drop that beautiful metaphor, but not necessarily overwhelm with, 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 yeah. with, with detail, that I, is obviously the, the skill of a writer for today. You know, Pesach, I, I think we talk about this book, you know, and you sent it to me and I, 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 I try, I guess I read about a third of it. Uh, and, and, and I say this real honestly, because I, I my, my wife, who doesn't really listen to all these podcasts, knows that, you know, I have a, a, a night table. It's always full of, of stuff. Every couple of weeks, I take the stuff from the night table. I put it up back up here. And I have a lot of stuff on my night table that I'm, that I'm, that, you know, I'm planning. But I took the book put it at the head of the line. And, uh, you know, I was about for two and a half hours. I went through, I guess about, um, I don't want, you know, I guess about a third of the book. And it, it's so much to me compared to some of your other books, uh, Pesach. I think it, um, it's so personal. Um, yes, it definitely the stories of, of, of the Gedolim and the, and the indexes to the various Gedolim. But, but I get the sense that the Yom Naroyim with the Magid has... Uh, a, a lot of, uh, of of you, more than you, and especially as as you are sort of like the mouthpiece for the pain Klal Yisrael has been going through, uh, and the world has been going through since the advent of the pandemic. Um, would you say that's right? That this book, in many ways, is one of your most personal books. In, in terms, I, of- I can't get over. You told me this the other day when we were speaking about coming on this program. I think that you're so perceptive, and that's what I always loved about you, about your insights. And you're definitely, definitely right. Um, I, I really was very much affected by um, the world reaction to the COVID, the pain that so many people had, the death of many great people, whether it was the Novominska Rebbe or Rab David Feinstein or Noah Deer, many, many wonderful people that we lost, you know, this past year. And so many people on ventilators and respirators, and so many people who lost Parnassus totally. Now, even myself, um, many, many people, the non from people, they stopped having brisson. They had a bris, you know, they had a circumcision in the hospital, and then the reform rabbi would tell them, you know, we'll give your baby a name over Zoom, but just have it in the hospital, you know, where there's nobody there. And so that was cut down. Um, and then, of course, my speaking was cut down. Everything was on Zoom and uh, some places on audio. I, I wasn't traveling. There was a time two years ago where my wife and I, this is not an exaggeration, 19 out of 20 Chabasim, we were away in different cities, different countries or whatever, scholars and residents or whatever, always speaking. And that totally shut down. And, you know, so obviously there was less speaking and, and there was less brisson and, you know, and, but there were some, so I was kept busy, Bar Hashem, you know, through many, many speeches over Zoom, like we're doing now, but, you know, I, and I began to realize there's so many, many people that are so terribly affected. It was, it, it was sad. And, um, 
you know, and you didn't know when it was going to end. This was before the vaccine. And I, I started writing this book before the vaccine came. And, I, and as I told you, that sometimes when I was talking about the depression that was going on in the world and the sadness and the lack of security in the future, Rav Nassim Sherman made me take it out. He said, you just can't be so depressive. He says, COVID is going to end, but this book is going to hang around. The written word is forever. So you cannot make this a negative book, even in your introduction. It's got to be, you know, kind of limited right. in the scope of the depression of what's uh, going on. Right. You I agree with you. Again, I, even these podcasts, which who knows how much shelf life they're going to have, if it's all going to be layered with COVID, they become a, uh, a historical curiosity as right. opposed to something to learn from. But, right. but I, I think it's even more than just the pain that the world is suffering through COVID. And by the way, the beautiful story that's here, I don't want to spoil it for their listeners, about the Lakewood family. I think it was a Lakewood family. Yes, that's right. No, the, Lake, the Lakewood family who took care of the 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 yeah, Almana, Almana and um, and what they went through has a great O. Henry surprise at the end that I don't want to spoil for everybody. But that's a beautiful story of how Clawistrow came together through COVID. But I think there's even more than that, just in terms of. Uh, of, of, of a description of of yourself and your family and your children, um, and even the divrei themselves seem to be coming from uh, not just uh, uh, you know regenerating something you heard from another source, but it has a little personal stamp on it. Uh, there's another thing which I think makes the the book different from some of your other wonderful svarim and books. Um, again, you'll be Michael me that I I use books and svarim. Of course. No, no. I, yeah, look. Um, I, I, you know, and I have your book on Brismila, uh, which of course owed a lot to, to many of the other Sifrei Likutim and others, but it was clearly one of the first books in English that really put uh, the halachas in a way that you, <laughs> you didn't have to schlep a whole library around and you were able to refer. This is really more something that is much more shimushi in terms of learning. Like I mentioned this to you the other day uh, when we were talking about setting up this time. I remember... Um, you know, Alta Eden used to bring Shai Agnon's classic, Yom Naroyim. Um, and of course, Shai Agnon, he was a complex person, but he was, a, of course, a, a Nobel Prize winner. And there's a reason why. I don't think the, those, uh, the, the, the people in Sweden could even read Loshan Akedish to know how beautiful his writing was. But he decided after a conversation he had with a, a, a somebody, uh, a non-Frumer, non-Jewish person, that he was going to show that there is an incredible amount of beautiful literature around something so important as uh, the Yom Neroyim. Uh, and, and, and many people would bring Shai Agnon's little pocket-sized book with them. It was like the Machzer and, 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 and Agnon's Yom Neroyim. I see this book as the version of you know, Tufshin Pei Aleph's or Pei Bez's version of a safer. Hey, what am I bringing to Shul? I'm bringing, I'm going to bring my Machser and I'm going to bring also <laughs> Yom Neroyim. I'm going to bring Yom Neroyim with the Magid because during the time when they're selling the Aliyahs or whatever's going on and, and uh, my cup or right beforehand, I've got something uh, on this next part of davening or what's going on. And I, and I think in many ways, it, it's much more than a Maisebif, right? A hundred percent. And that's it. when we were speaking, one of the things that I mentioned is that one of the challenges, you have so many Avinu Malkenus, you have so many Oshamnus, you have so many Alchets. 
What's the difference? What are you supposed to think about each one? And, you know, when you talk about Kibbut Hoyrim and Moirim, I don't know if you saw this, but I said something for um, that uh, Rab Chaim Kanievsky said, which to me is one of the most brilliant things that I ever heard. And I hope that your listeners will just take out a pen and pencil, a paper and uh, pen just to write this down to see it. It's just, <laughs> they'll take their phone out and type it in their phone and send themselves a text so. message. But, but go ahead. If, if you would take a look, and this is what I wrote by Kibbut Hayrim and Moirim, the Pusik tells us by Esau that Vayove Laoviv, he brought food to his father. Now, only Rab Chaim Kanievsky could figure out that this is a palindrome. You could read it backwards and forwards. Vayove Laoviv. It's unbelievable. We've seen that Pusik a thousand times. Who thinks about that? But what I loved is the lesson that he learned from it. And he said that the way you treat your parents, that's how your children are going to treat you. And <laughs> when, you, when you're when you saying, you know, the al-chayt, al-kibur ha'irim, that's an investment. That's an investment. You have to not only treat your parents because of kibur ha'irim, but you're investing in your future. Because the way you talk about your parents, whether they're alive or not, and the way you treat them, and your kids see that, that's what they're going to learn from. Now, that's right. brilliant. So when somebody sees this, you know, in this book, and they're looking, kibur ha'irim, oh my goodness. I, I've got I've got to straighten out, you know. This is this is something. Now, for example, you and I spoke about your Atznura. It's so moving. Where Palm would cry. He would cry when he said, Ashamna, your Atznura, I gave bad advice. How many times do you and I and other people, people ask us for advice and we give them advice? And do we really know the whole topic? Do we know everything that's going on that we could give the proper advice? Just somebody, a young woman called me just yesterday. She's getting divorced. Now, and, and my heart breaks. I love this person. It's a relative of mine. And, and you know, and, and she's getting divorced. But, but, you know, she's asking me for advice, asking me for help. And I want to help her. But do I really know his side of the story? You know, this is a relative. So, of course, I'm going to favor her, right? But can I give the proper advice without speaking to the other side? And many, many times we do take for granted that we know what's happening because of the first person that comes to tell us. But, you know, you got to know both sides. And, and you know, you have to be familiar. For example, in the Yoatznura story, and what happened was there's a fellow Ichi Deutsch, he asked Rapam to give him advice what yeshiva he should send his son. So Rapam knew all the other yeshivas, but if somebody asks me or asks somebody else, do they really know all the yeshivas? Did they meet the boy and figure out what yeshiva would be best for the kid? So, you know, there's an achrayas when you give advice. Uh, you know, in that story, Pesach, you also have Rav Palm's, you know, uh, you get a sense of his anivus and his understanding oh, that Rav, Rav Deutsch, this Ichi Deutsch needed for his son, not your standard yeshiva. And I, I, that was my, my impression. And Rav Palm actually says, well, I know the yeshiva that my grandson is being right. matzliach in. And, you know, in many ways, you know, how human that is. You know, I have a grandson that also, in a sense, isn't necessarily muksher uh, for this, your standard uh, boxy yeshiva. And, and that also, I think, although he was so worried, uh, and you could, I don't want to ruin the story, but he was also, in a way, creating a, a personal bond to the person who came to him for an etza. Uh, talking right. about his own anicles, right. his own anical struggle, and this is what worked. But, right. but and I, I just want to add one thing that Rav David Cohen often tells me, and Rav Palm said this to Chazonish, 
Zechat Tzadik Lebrocha said this, that when a, an Adam Gadol or a Rav gives you advice and it works, you really have an Achrayas to go back to them and tell them that it worked. So many people, you know, I, I remember David would tell me so many times, he said, you know, I found out that this person, you know, had the child. They never called me. I've been, da- I'm still dawdling for them. They got the child. He's a year and a half old already. Why didn't they call to say that the advice helped? I saw the same thing in the Halicha Shlomo from Shlomo Zaman Orabach, which is yeah. really also a cla- also an incredible work of putting together halacha and story and machshava. It's really a unique safer. I'm sure you know about it. Halicha Shlomo from Shlomo Zalman's Talmidim. And they talk about the people coming to Shlomo Zalman. Um, who with Rav Shadron is like, you know, those yeah. were these two incredible pillars yeah, of Shari they Chesed. They were brothers yes, Right, right. Incredible. You go to Shari Chesed, you're Shalayim, and you'd <laughs> see these two men, you know, walking together. It was just yeah. incredible. But Roshom Zalman used to say, people would come to him with, with names. And he said, Ich bring in mein I'm bringing them into the, the most personal part of their tefillahs. He says, what, what happened? And you think about that, Davin for me. You're, you're asking this tzaddik to actually take that person into your into your into the into the kodesh of your machshavas and tefillahs. And he would he would he would he would and you know his smile, but he oh. would give it to people when they didn't tell them. He would yeah. tell them that you, sh- you didn't come to me and tell me that you had the child. You didn't tell me that, that the person's not sick anymore. Of course, <laughs> it, it, it's, a, it's like you say, it's almost like treating the, the Godel as some sort of utility machine, right? <laughs> that, that, okay, you know, is the sprinkler system on? You, know, you, you don't realize what, 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 what's... What, yeah, right. The Chazaynish, I once heard said, what's meant to hearts from Stein? I feel the pain of these people. You know, one one of the things I think also that the book does, you know, uh, it, it, besides being a safer shimushi, besides having so much of yourself in it and 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 reflecting the time, but hopefully, you know, having a, a great shelf life. Um, one of the things I think uh, that the book does, you you took parts that I think of the whole Yom Nareim experience that were muznach, you know, the parts that, it's so overwhelming in a way, El, Sholayim, Kippur, right? And, 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 and certain things are very well trod. I, I compared you to Shai Agnon before, and really, you know, in a positive way. But Shai Agnon, of course, uh, is going to give you the Rav Amnon, uh, Nasana Tokev. He's going to give you a lot of the Matef Shrayims that are you do them, of course, and putting them together. But what you did was you zeroed in on things that people sort of like don't even think about as much because there's so much else going on. But right. you're able to, for example, you know, it, it, the, um, the, uh, the significance of the Tapuach Bidvash, which, of course, everybody, to many people, that's when Rosh Hashanah starts, but also just zeroing in on the dipping it into the honey, the fact that you're holding a piece of fruit with seeds in it, and to think about that in a different way, uh, right. the story there about uh, you said it was you you you, uh, you mentioned there was a woman who came up with this idea, but you really built on it in such a, a fascinating fashion. And, and I really, just want to say the expression that any fool can count the seeds in one apple, but only the highest power Hashem can count the apples in one seed. Right. And when you plant a seed of friendship, a seed of encouragement, 
there's so much blossoming that can happen because of that. And that's what I was thinking, that when we look at these seeds, we look at the apple, we can provide a sweet year for others by being the seed that gives encouragement to other people. So in other words, when we see that seed, which to many people is, oh, I don't like that seed. You know, in other words, maybe a mango would be easier that you has one big seed and you can just put it away and dip the mango in some honey or whatever. But actually seeing the apple and noticing the seed makes you think about one seed can produce so much. Exactly. And only the, and, and, and the story that you brought there meant a lot to me because it, it was connected to uh, one of my old friends uh, in, from Hamilton, who's now Mordechayef, uh, he was now uh, Reish uh, Yeshiva. And, 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 and it talked about a, a, someone from Timmins, Ontario, who, right. who was who, some uh, you know, general store owner out in the hinterlands, who knows uh, you know, if, if he was the only Jew in the town, but as an Orthodox Jew, uh, was again, I don't want to spoil the story, but as an Orthodox Jew was there to provide sucker sustenance, chesed, to all the other pioneers, whoever they were, they were out there in ways that, that lasted up until the point that those acts of chesed that he did were, was able to be reciprocated in, in, in the most incredible fashion right. um, by, again, the story. I'm sort of ruining things for people, but... No, but, no, you're not ruining them, but, but, you, but you and I spoke about something else also about Gedalia. Yes, and, so in other words, some Gedalia, which most people, as you rightly say, okay, now I'm fasting, and Gedalia ben Achikam sort of becomes... Yes. Why am I even thinking about him? And, and, and you, especially the day after Rosh Hashanah, which is such a, in a sense, uplifting day, because we're being Mamu Hakodesh Baruch We're looking for forgiveness. We're looking for a great new year, and we're on a high. And then the next day, we're fasting. And why? What happened here? And you know, I, it, I, I was always so pained about you know the reaction to to Gedalia, and, and I wanted to present him in a light that we should understand that how great and how sensitive he was. And when you see how the Masil Tisharim writes about him and how Rab, Rab, the Manchester Rosh Shiva writes about him and Rav Pam, and I quote all these people, that he was such a sensitive, he didn't want to be Makabal Lashonara, but he's criticized for that because there's a time when you have to be Makabal and you have to take care of yourself and protect yourself and not undertake certain Chumras. Now, Rav Segel says, that some boys and girls, I'm sure, when they come home from yeshiva, they start throwing all the chumras on their parents. And really, that's the wrong thing to do. They should be machma on themselves, how they, are ma- how they give cover to their parents. So Don't counter- take a chumra that, that, that doesn't belong there. It's so counterintuitive because normally you would say, based on Shulchan Aruch, oh, I've got to be Makhbed on Pasi Stroh, I've got to be that's what uh, Sarasi Mechuvah is. And you were able, with your insight about Gedalia, to actually blunt that feeling and to actually recognize that maybe Bizman Azeh, especially, you know, Dor Dor Vidarshav, this door needs that message more. This door needs the message, not so much, okay, what new frumkite am I going to do during a serious Bechuva, but to realize that your regish of frumkite can't allow you to, to hurt others and, exactly. and, and don't have that hubris. You know, Rabbi right. Solanter used to say, uh, he says, you know, as ihr willkommen rein zuichis, tretnisch auf mein Fies, right? Right. Right. In other words, and, and I and think. when you're putting on your talus and you're swinging it around, don't knock out somebody's eyes. So and so to have that to be the same Gedalia message, I thought was very very novel. Uh, and, and another place um, where 
and, 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 and uh, so moving was what most people sort of, okay, Yom Kippur's over, the Shifer, let's go do Kiddush Lovana. You spend a whole a number of pages on Kiddush Lovana, which is sort of like uh, also, you know, saving the Yosem, you know, the Kiddush, like everybody's just, and, and you're able to really talk about how significant it is that you're doing Kiddush Lovana afterwards, right? Yeah, that was the last thing. And I hear, let me just tell you a little secret again, because, you know, we're talking so open. Um, Kiddush Lovana is the last thing, you know, in the Machzer, right? Because it's uh, right after Yom Kippur and uh, it says in Shulchan Aruch that you should, you're dressed well and people are happy. They have Kapora. And so therefore we want to say Kiddush Lovana. And I wrote a beautiful, beautiful story about Rav Schwab, Zechatarik Lavrocha, about how he was so mocked in Kiddush Lovana. And I even mentioned that he had a poem that he used to say over in German. And, and, and he used to say, and I'll say it in, in German or in Yiddish, and then, I'll, of course, I'll translate it, because in Frankfurt, the, it was always very cloudy in the winter. So they tried to hop around and do Kiddush Lovana as soon as they could. And he used to say that in Tevis, Adar, and Shavat, hot is gahat. In other words, you try to get the Levana and do Kiddush Levana as soon as you saw a sliver of it because you weren't guaranteed that after seven days it's still going to be there, you know, without the clouds. Right. And, and I wanted to end the story and end the book on a high note. But between me and you, there's another story that I just couldn't write. And I, I said to Rob Nelson Sherman that I know this story to be a fact. Hey, Pesach, before you get to that, I just want to tell people that when they get to the Rav Schwab story, it doesn't start with Kiddush Lovona is very important. You started like you started like 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 a shake like a like a Hitchcock film. There's a car that's 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 careening on the highway, you know, <laughs> on the way from Philadelphia. You, what's going on over here? Like Rav Schwab's in the Rav Schwab's in the back seat, and Rav, and, and and his son is driving the car, right? So you you only get to the Kiddush Lovona and the Frankfurt poem after right. you, 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 you're averting uh, a possible uh, 180, yeah, right? So right. you do it, you, you get the story introduced in a way where in, in, in a much unexpected fashion, but go ahead. I'm just, I just wanted to comment on that as well, but go ahead, Pesach. I'm sorry. Okay, so now listen to this. When I went to be Menachem Oval, the Schwabs, I'm very, very close to them. And one of the greatest CDs that I ever made, and if you don't have it, I'll send it to you, is they... Never had a Haskara for Rav Schwab since he passed away. 20 years after his passing, they called me. I'm not a Yeki. I'm not a German. I never, you know, I'm not a member of the, you know, uh, Kaladasi Shuren. But they knew how much I revered him and I write about him. And I speak about him. So they asked me to give the Haskara. And one of the most amazing stories that I heard when I went to be Menachemov, Rav Meir Schwab told me the story. In Rav Schwab's final illness, he was, I believe, in uh, Columbia, um, Presbyterian Hospital, and he was in the ICU unit, and where he was, the window that he had in his room, he would not be able to see the Levana, and he asked his family to move him to another part of the hospital where he would be able to see the Levana, but that the ICU wasn't on that section of the hospital, and Nebuchadnezzar that was the first time that he had ever missed saying Kiddush Levana, and that was the month that he passed away. Wow. And and I brought over there the Shaitzian that brings a story about a person that was accosted by by robbers and he thought he was gonna die. And he asked them to let him do one more thing. 
and and he did Kiddush Lavana and they let him go. That so was a good that bear hatev that you found yeah, was really hatev. was really yeah that was a, that was a good research there on your part. Yeah. You gave what to connect it to uh, yeah. yeah. I, I think people don't people people don't realize that uh, you know Pesach Kron uh, you know is 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 not only the uh, father and grandfather of Rabbonim and Rabbeim, but uh, he's. Uh, Talmud Chacham, a person who uh, uh, you know your your insights and ha'aris are more than just um, you know something that you scratched out of your head, but really as 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 you know, I, I read everything, even the Haskomis uh, from Rav Olbaum, Pemapik Margolius, right? I think he writes that uh, uh, you know that there's a lot of uh, it isn't just Yosef Chacham, you know Yishma Chacham Yosef Lekach and Neifach Mishalo. There's a lot. In if you really uh, in between the lines of really nice yisoidas, really nice different Torah, really right, right, uh, a, 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 a good good vart, and something that I think is 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 is, is MS. So you know, in many ways, Pesach, what, what what you've done so often is sort of like uh, sort of like being mitzamtim. And other people have to push themselves, and really, I think in many ways, people don't uh, people underscore and don't really give you enough credit for because you're not pointing to it with with, with a finger and saying, "Oh, this is a Dvar Torah, this is a big Einfall, Kafter Beferach," and yet I think it's scattered so often throughout uh, the, the the stories and what you've heard from others. Your own applications, which I think are always really interesting, and 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 Thank you so much. I I love you, and I appreciate your kindness, and you're giving me this great opportunity to be on this podcast on this Zoom. And uh, we should just continue our great. Mir Tashem, and the book we should, as we say, you know, we'll look back uh, at, at, at at and hopefully many many others for him. But uh, and, and 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 we'll look back at this one and say, you know. Look how far the Rebbeinu Shalom, as you said, has brought us out of that magefa, yeah. has brought us out of that miba uh, magefa, and we can we could say that Baruch Hashem, this was the this was that uh, uh, the chevle mamish, the chevle Mashiach. Take care, Pesach. Thanks again. We'll catch Thanks. you. Uh, I can't promise that we're ever going to be able to to match these type of guests, but we'll catch you again, hopefully, and on principle. Okay. Be, be well. Nice. A good night to your family and to Chaim. Thanks for joining us for another episode from the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a single episode.